Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Pleasure and a privilege to be with you every weekday here on Sports Byline. iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio and WorldSoccerTalk.com in podcast form, on demand, wherever you need us. Take us with you. Please take us with you. I'd, I'd, I'd love to go wherever you're going. You know, Take me to the gym. Take me on the car ride. Take me on the road trip. Take me on the run. You can listen to World Soccer Talk radio wherever you need it my name is nate abarea find me on twitter with all the love mail and the hate mail that you are oh so good at sending at nate wst all of us on twitter at world soccer talk and you can also follow at sports byline usa for updates on the show and a very very special show we have for you today all of you crystal palace fans are in luck and all of you fans of of the recent behind the badge documentary on nbc sportsnet are very much in luck today we have the chairman of crystal palace with us on air steve Parrish is going to be with us in the next segment talking all things crystal palace and Talking American support of Crystal Palace and, and not just as far as fans watching on television and then buying tickets to go to Selhurst Park in the, in the near future, but also talking about investment and, and American investment in particular. The idea of Palace coming back uh, to America to play some friendlies in the near future and what the connection to America could mean for a club like Crystal Palace and, and the incredible level of growth that we've seen from Palace, a club that six years ago, when Mr. Steve Parrish became the chairman of this club, six years ago he was helping rescue Crystal Palace from bankruptcy. And yes, I, I know they're going through a, a poor run of form on the field right now, but when you put it in that kind of perspective, six years ago they're in administration being rescued from bankruptcy, and now we're talking about global expansion and, and looking at Palace in such an incredibly different light, and Steve Parrish has been so influential as the chairman of that club, and I cannot wait to talk with him about all things Crystal Palace, how they relate to fans here in America, money here in America, but without ever moving too far away from that local focus, that South London and proud focus that makes Crystal Palace so special. Steve Parrish, chairman of Crystal Palace, will be with us on the other side of this break. World Soccer Talk Radio cannot wait to kick this thing off. Stick around. And then we'll take it higher. Oh, we're gonna rock down to Electric Avenue. And then we'll take it higher. 
listening to World Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. A very special guest with us in this edition of the show, Chairman of Crystal Palace, Mr. Steve Parrish. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So uh, let's get right into the recent documentary that the folks here in the States uh, were able to catch uh, through NBC Sports Network and uh, the, the work from Goalhanger Films. Talk about how this opportunity came about for this behind-the-scenes documentary all about your club televised here in America. Yeah, so NBC, as you know, have been doing a great job over the last uh, two and a half years um, with the Premier League in the States. And they actually came over to make a small piece about the club. Um, and during that time, we just got into discussions about maybe there was something a little bit, a bit more intimate, a little bit of a closer look at, at the football club that they could do just to show some of the unique features and for people in the States to get to know the people. And it was something that we were we were open to. We thought it would be a good idea um, to really introduce the the club and the brand to the to people in the state. So when it's gone brilliantly, unfortunately, it hasn't gone brilliantly on the pitch. Um, we've only managed to give them one win in the FA Cup with a bit of a slump during the period. But nevertheless, I think that's still an interesting insight for American viewers into how a training ground works, how the manager works, and and, and how our team and fans react to those situations here. Well, definitely. I think that there is an element of, of seeing the positives that can come out of a, of a rough patch with, with a club and seeing how a club can persevere through, through a rough patch. But I have to ask a, a little bit more about the, the access uh, with, with this documentary. I mean, it, it is truly a, a fly-on-the-wall, behind-the-scenes access documentary. And what does that say about, about you, your club, about Alan Pardew, about a number of other people around Crystal Palace and, and kind of the, the forward-thinking mindset of of letting this access happen when I, I i have to feel that i don't think a lot of some other premier league clubs would have been as uh um access oriented shall we say uh with, with something like this no i mean i think that we were very confident in um nbc and goal films um and we're confident in ourselves i guess and what we've got to portray you know we're very much a and what you see is what you get kind of club. You know, we feel that we've got a good connection to the fans and the community. I feel that my job is running the club for the history and for the fans of the last 100 or so, 110 years that, that we've been around. Um, so, you know, we like to think that we're all pretty much on the same page in terms of how the club operates, what it portrays, what it stands for what we believe in. So, you know, we should be able to stand that scrutiny. People should be able to come in and lift the lid off and see exactly the same as we portray. And we're confident that that's what happened and, and that's what people saw. And obviously the more people can get to know us and, and get, get an affinity to us, hopefully the more people will gather up for the journey ahead. So, you know, that was a, it, was, it wasn't a difficult decision for us with all of those factors. 
Absolutely. And and with everything going on at the club and, and when you look at the the internationalization of the Premier League, and that's something that, that you yourself touched on uh, in the documentary uh, a number of times. Talk about how important the United States is to to Crystal Palace and, and Palace's growth worldwide here in the uh, the near and distant futures. Well, obviously, it's a huge country by population. Um, the Premier League, I think, is one of the fastest growing properties on, on US television right now. Um, and it's also, you know, virgin territory in that it didn't have a strong affinity to the Premier League before. So, obviously, what we find when we go into a lot of territories around the world, the Premier League already has a huge amount of traction. And unfortunately, maybe gain that traction during a time when, when we weren't participating. So, um, people have picked the teams that they're following and the teams that they support. So the U.S. represents a particular area of interest for us, not only because of that, but also because we have quite a U.S.-centric brand. I mean, I've always said that if somebody from America bought a football club and wanted to rename it, they might call it something like Crystal Palace, um, Red and Blue, uh, an Eagle as its mascot emblem. So... You know, I think that, the, that there's a resonation of the brand with um, people in the US uh, and we're certainly garnering lots of support from out there. So it, it's just a good opportunity for us. Obviously, your global support does drive many things. The commercial sponsors are interested in that. We're interested in it in terms of widening the appeal of the club. And um, So there's lots of factors that make the US a real interesting target for us and, and one where we were happy to go into the documentaries I think there was some good wins for us if it was successful I want to go back into that a little bit later as far as the American support of Palace and the growth of, of American support of, of Crystal Palace as a club. But one thing that I've really been anxious to, to talk about you with, Mr. Parrish, is, is the We Are South London campaign uh, that has really garnered this incredible local enthusiasm for Crystal Palace. And one of the things when we have people from Palace Supporters Clubs on this show, I always say one thing that I just embrace and love about your club is, is the diversity. We, be it on a on a cultural level, an ethnic level, an age level, young and old in in Selhurst Park, it's such a a beautiful thing, and everyone so on board with this "We Are South London" campaign and taking so much local pride in their club, and and we've seen how, how that has just paid dividends uh, in, in terms of of what has gone on over the last few seasons. How do you balance? the local focus and all the great things that you guys have done on a true South London local level with this kind of international expansion that we're speaking of? Where, where's the middle ground to find here? Well, you know, we've got this brand position internally, which is ambition with integrity. And, you know, I think our view is, you, you know, with a football club, as with any kind of sporting organization that has a heritage and history, you can't decide what you want to be. You know, it just doesn't work like that. You know, you are what you are. What you can decide to do, I think, when you come into it, as I did, um, is you can decide to amplify the things that you really like, the things that you resonate, and you can try and maybe turn down things that you don't think are, are, are capable of helping you build a bright future. So, you know, valiant underdog, which might be, you know, glorious failure, which might have been some of the things that have been attached to us in the past. 
are things that we probably would like to try and shed, both in terms of our thinking and in terms of our actions on the pitch. But um, allowing our supporters who come from the area to come and enjoy themselves and express themselves in maybe a way that other stadia don't allow, making sure that we keep the ticket prices accessible for the local community, embracing, as you said, the ethnic diversity of the community and encouraging that. These are things that if you do, I think they resonate globally. People see that. People see that you're a part of something, that you're real, you're tangible. You've not just created something you want people to latch onto, that you live it and you feel it. And that translates in the atmosphere in the stadium, I think. The players on the pitch, you know, we've got players that, that have come through our academy. Jason was in our academy when he was very young. Wilfred Zaha came through our academy. We've got another player, Jonathan Williams, who came through our academy. So I think if you if you really act, um, you know the the way that you are in an authentic way, um, and you maintain that integrity about where you come from, I think people see that from all over the world. So I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I mean the South London and Proud tag that we put on the club is really that's the opportunity for us. You know, there's one Premier League club at the moment in South London. So there's a big opportunity for us in the local area to garner support. And that support often, you know, you can carry through a lifetime. So we have very cheap tickets for under 10s. We try and help people get to the stadium. We organise transport for away games. Um, we very much want to be rooted in the community. We'll be doing a lot with our foundation this year in terms of a lot more, I should say, because we already do a lot in terms of various charitable programmes, reaching out to the local community, trying to touch people's lives and help them in their daily life whether that to be to do with youth and sport or whether it's to do with just trying to help people um, get by in what sometimes are difficult times for people right now. So um, I think if you're authentic and you're real and, and you live the, the, the way that you think that people associated with the club for years believe that you should do, I think that resonates with everybody. I don't think the two things need to be mutually exclusive and I think the American supporters and fans hopefully can see that in us. Again, we're here with Crystal Palace Chairman Steve Parrish. The local focus will be seen globally. Remember that. We're back after this right here on World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio. Nate Avarea here with Crystal Palace Chairman Steve Parrish. And it's time to get back to that subject that we were touching on uh, there there in the last segment. And that is American support of, of Crystal Palace in, in a number of ways. And, and there's one thing that I, I have to ask you about, uh, Steve, and that is... What can you really tell us about the specific stadium uh, development that, that is in the works and that will be done as a result of the investment from some American businessmen uh, by the names of, of Josh Harris and, and David Blitzer? Talk about what's in the future as far as the, the development of, of Selhurst Park. Yeah, so the stadium, you know, when I um, bought the club with, with a few other guys originally, um, the club had been very underinvested for probably 25 years. <clears throat> so every aspect of the club really needed improving. And we've probably got the, the stadium as it, as it stands and the training ground as it stands as, as good as they can be in their current state. Really, there are two reasons to develop them. One is that they're suboptimal, really, for a modern stadium and modern fan usage and the way that they think about 
you know, a day at um, a sporting event. And secondly, we're just missing an opportunity. You know, we're in very near to central London. There's a huge uh, population near nearby. Uh, not only can we increase the general admission, we can also increase the corporate areas as well because it's a very affluent area of the world. So, um, and we are behind in terms of our match day revenue, some of our peers. Now, whilst the TV money has increased to the extent that it really does nullify that to a certain extent, there still is a good kind of 10 to 20 million pounds worth of annual revenue that we can go for with um, a stadium expansion. And that will make us more competitive on the pitch and um, hopefully more of a permanent fixture in the Premier League, which is obviously what we want to achieve and beyond. So we've got a very exciting design for the stadium. We work with an architect called KSS who've worked with Liverpool on their stadium and Fulham on their stadium. Actually did some of the original designs for the Tottenham Stadium as well, the Brighton Stadium. So they're very well versed in stadium design. They've got a particular niche in uh, using current stadia and, and constructing around them and improving them massively while still keeping them operational, which is something that we very much want to do. We really don't want to move away if we can avoid it in, in that interim period. So um, we're fantastically excited about it and we've got meetings on a regular basis to plan out what goes in there, how it works, how we get it done. We're just working with uh, a supermarket brand that we have currently on the site in terms of what they want to get out of the development so that we can get all of the stakeholders lined up. And then we'll go for a planning application, hopefully in the first half of this year, uh, which is very, very exciting. And at that point, the fans will get a glimpse of, of what we intend to do. So um, it's really something that I'm very personally committed to getting done very excited about um, but as with all these things I'm sure there'll be some twists and turns you know in, in London we're not overburdened with space it's very difficult um, sometimes to build these things it's a very tight site that we've got at the moment so uh, I'm sure there'll be some difficulties along the way but I'm, I'm also sure that we'll be able to find a way around them so it'll be very exciting for the supporters who haven't really seen this club developing that way since 1990 was the last meaningful thing that happened on the site so I'm very, very keen to change all that and, and make this happen. Well, some of the investment, again, coming from, from these American businessmen, uh, talk, talk about that as the chairman of the club. Is that something that, that you see moving forward? And again, we go back to the, the globalization and the economics of this whole thing, but, but garnering foreign investment for Crystal Palace, is that something that, that you see as, as perhaps commonplace in, in years to come? Yeah, listen, I mean... A lot of the clubs in the Premier League are owned by overseas ownership. For me, I don't really care where people are from. What, what, what I care about is whether they buy into the, the vision of the club and, and the way that the club can be improved and, and, and have a share of general excitement for football and want to win. You know, that's why we're all involved in sport because, you know, let's not just talk about development and stadia and more people coming. You know, we're in sport because for the glory, you know, we want to try and create some glory for the club, for ourselves, be a part of a winning infrastructure, a winning team, a winning mentality, share that feeling with the people that, you know, you build that with. And, and that's what's important to me, what what type of people. And in, in David and Josh, I think I've found people that, that are very much rooted in sport. They've got two other sporting franchises in the States, as you know, the, the 76ers and the the Devils, and, 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 and they've got a huge love for sport, huge love for uh, the Premier League. And I think now developing a love for the club as they get more involved in it. So 
they had the right intentions towards the club, the right, right areas of interest, um, and they were prepared to put in the kind of money that I'm prepared to put into the club to see it move forward. So um, exciting times for the club and, and two great guys and a lot of knowledge and expertise, very wise uh, people, uh, and I'm very much enjoying working with them and their team. So um, I think it's, it's great for this club to have that kind of stability. You know, we've never had such a wealthy group of owners. We've never had such a solid financial base in the 110-year history of the club. You know, this is the best situation the club's ever been in from every angle. So um, I'm very pleased that I was able to facilitate that. It's a big point of pride for me because my football club, I've sported it since I was four years old. So to be able to get the club in the position it's in now is very exciting for me personally. And, and, and hopefully I can use all the tools that we've now got to really make a lasting improvement. Well, I really respect those words, uh, and, and especially in regards to not it, it not mattering where the investment is from. It matters, you know, if, if these people are buying into what the club is about, and that goes obviously for Crystal Palace or or any club in in England. It's truly about buying into to what the club is about at the core. And and you touched on in in the last segment actually about new American fans buying into to what Crystal Palace is about and understanding the history, understanding the roots, seeing what you guys are doing, seeing how the local focus can become something that is appreciated globally. And so on that note, on, on, on an American note, can you perhaps tell us anything in the near future, uh, looking into to the next year or two of Crystal Palace possibly coming to America and maybe playing some friendly matches on, on American soil? Yeah, we did that a couple of years back. We would really like to do it again, particularly because, you know, we have the, the, the guys from there involved. We are looking at it. Uh, we're looking at a couple of options. We went to South Africa last year, which was a great trip. Um, obviously, you know, we had some good weather uh, for football. Uh, we've brilliantly looked after. So we're looking at either going back there or coming to the States. If we don't come to the States this summer, there are quite a lot of um, soccer activities over the summer in the States uh, that might make it difficult. But if we do come, this, this uh, don't come this year, then we'll definitely come next year, I would imagine. We're very, very keen to come out and, and play some more games. It's a fantastic place for pre-season. You know, the MLS side give you a good competitive game, which is essential for pre-season. The facilities are first class. I don't know if we went to Philadelphia last time we were there, but, you know, brilliant. Enjoyed the city so much. Enjoyed the facilities. Enjoyed the game that we played. Um, we're hoping to maybe get a game in New York as well, which would be very exciting. So we've definitely got plans to come back there, if not this year, but, but the season after. But we'll, we're trying to make it happen in the summer. All right, I got to ask you now about the, uh, the the Crystal Palace legend that is currently the manager of the club, and and we talk so much about investors buying into what the club is about at the core, and obviously players themselves buying into a a philosophy that is deeper than than just their individual selves. How powerful is it to have a manager like Alan Pardew with the history that he has with Crystal Palace and, and knowing that he is fully behind everything that, that you are doing as a chairman that everyone around you is doing? Talk about the power of having someone with such a deep connection to Crystal Palace as the manager of, of this club. Well, it, it really does make a huge difference because, um, you know, you're in a situation... Uh, where 
everything is easier in any business organisation if everybody's on the same page and they're aligned. And it's much easier if that's a natural state of mind than if it's a, a forced situation. So um, Alan absolutely shares the passion for the club, the ethos. He understands the playing style, the way we are, the way we've always been, the area, the fans, what they want to hear, what they don't want to hear, what they want him to do. Um, I personally have a good relationship with him, um, which makes my life a lot easier. And all of all of that is made easier because of those things I said before, because we're pretty much on the same page. Um, and that's it's times like this actually that that's important. You know, it isn't the good times. You know, everybody can get on with everybody when things are going great. At, at times like this, when we're having a little bit of a slump, I mean, it's not a crisis. We've had a great season. We're not getting carried away, but you know, the, the last few results in the Premier League and not what any of us would want them to be. Um, so, you know, that's when it's important, and we're in the transfer window. So we're working very hard to bring some fresh players in just to give everybody a bit of a lift. Um, and that's uh, coming together hopefully quite nicely in the next couple of days. We're hoping to announce something um, which should give everybody a big boost. So this is the month we're working closely with the manager is really very important and we're, we're very pleased and lucky to have Alan at our club and we hope he stays for a long time. We'll definitely stay closely tuned to any developments in the transfer window uh, for Crystal Palace and, and on that note, just want to say thank you again as I know this is an incredibly busy, busy time for you. Thank you so much for your time and you're welcome back on the show uh, anytime and best of luck uh, in the rest of, of this Premier League campaign and, and all competitions uh, for that matter uh, for Crystal Palace. Again, really appreciate your time. Steve Parrish, thank you so much. Thanks guys, been brilliant. Thank you. Again, that was the chairman of Crystal Palace, Steve Parrish, here with us on World Soccer Talk Radio. We're going to be back after this right here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned. Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barrea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. This man is absolute magic that belongs in a different galaxy altogether. Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio. Nate Abarea here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network and in podcast form on demand wherever you may be. iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. Please leave us a review when you get a chance on iTunes. It does very much help us out. And follow me on Twitter at NateWST. Follow all of us on Twitter at World Soccer Talk. Another huge thank you, a tip of my cap, all that good stuff to Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parrish, an incredibly generous man when, when you consider everything going on at Crystal Palace right now and, and the time of year that it is in English football uh, for, for him to give us uh, some of his time was very, very nice and we very much appreciate that and definitely wish Mr. Parrish and the rest of his staff uh, at Selhurst Park, the best of luck and the best of fortune in the uh, near and distant futures. And as their relationship with the United States continues to grow, as their relationship with an American fan base 
continues to grow as well as the relationship with our own local community and something that Palace has been, I think, at the forefront of in, in England as all this internationalization and globalization has been going on uh, in the English game. I think Palace are a fine example of a club that has definitely been thinking about that. I mean, my God, we, we talked about it there for 20 minutes uh, with Steve Parrish as far as the, the internationalization of Crystal Palace as a club and, and tapping into the American fan market, but never taking their eyes off their own local community and never forgetting of, of what, never forgetting what South London is, is all about. We are South London, South London and proud and everything that goes with that. And there's one quote that I already repeated a couple of times and I'll, I'll say it again right now and I'll probably be saying it on Twitter and Facebook and to, to friends at the pub later tonight because I absolutely loved this line from Crystal Palace chairman, Mr. Steve Parrish, and that is that the local focus and the internationalization, they don't need to be mutually exclusive. And, and you can take this, take this quote and apply it to a number of other things in, in the soccer world and, and a number of other things just in, in the world at large in terms of, of publicity and marketing and remembering that a local focus can be seen globally. A local focus can be appreciated internationally. And think about that back to Crystal Palace. And every time when you hear people raving about that Selhurst Park atmosphere and they're watching the match on TV from 6,000 miles away, they're in California, they're 3,000 miles away in, in, in New York or Boston or Florida, wherever they may be, and they're watching a Palace match on, on NBC Sports on a Saturday or Sunday morning. And they're seeing that crowd. They're seeing the diversity of that crowd. They're seeing the energy of that crowd, the beauty of that crowd going, I, I want to go to one of those. So do you see how beautiful that quote is, that the local focus and that local South London energy translates to international branding? You know, you, they, they, they don't need to be mutually exclusive. That was, uh, there were a number of things that I enjoyed thoroughly talking about there with Steve Parrish, with the chairman, but that was one that definitely stood out, that a local focus can be seen globally. Remember that. World Soccer Talk Radio is what you're listening to, and got another special treat for you right now. We're continuing on this Crystal Palace train. We actually had stand-up comedian and uh, self-proclaimed musician uh, on, uh, on the show back in December. His name was Jim Daly, and Jim is a diehard Crystal Palace supporter, lifelong fan of the club, been going to Selhurst since he was a little kid. And we had a great chat about the, the man that we ended the conversation there uh, with Steve Parrish about, and that is, of course, the Silver Fox, Mr. Alan Pardue, the manager of the club that we're talking about oh so much on the show today. So what we're going to do right now is we're actually going to go back to that episode in December and give you a little taste if you didn't get to hear that show back. I believe it was December the 11th we had uh, Jim Daly on. We had a great chat with Jim Daly, a very funny man. And here's a little piece of that chat. And it starts off with a little conversation about the Silver Fox. But for some of the fantastic things he actually did on the pitch for Crystal Palace way back when, I speak of the man who, if he were a bar of chocolate, he would eat himself, the Silver Fox, Alan Pardue. Jim Daly, before we get to the present day, talk about what Alan Pardue means to Crystal Palace supporters. Well, as a Liverpool fan, you, you're not going to like my response because he means one particular moment and one particular goal in I our history. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> this. I mean, to be 
honest, he wasn't the best player for us, but this is the greatest thing he ever did for us, um, was scoring that goal in the FA Cup semi-final against Liverpool in extra time to send us through to the final winning 4-3 which as a result you know people don't understand that Palace were a tiny team then a tiny tiny team had just just been promoted and Liverpool were the biggest team in England I think they'd won the FA Cup before or were league champions or they were certainly winning titles left right and centre and, and Palace beat them in the FA Cup semi-final it was a huge result we actually didn't win the cup we lost to Man United on a replay in the final but that that, that goal elevated Pardew from to be honest mediocre midfielder apparently it was kind of before my time but apparently when his name was read out on the tannoy the fans used to boo it and steve Coppel used to have to write in his program notes please stop booing pardew i pick him for a reason he's a competent midfielder and then he scored that goal which you know wasn't even a great goal it was a, a header from half a yard out but that goal just elevated him to cult hero status and then he was loved forever by palace fans be- because of that and also because i think cult heroes tend to be players who aren't that good but they just connect with the fan base. And, and that goal just connected him with all the Palace fans in a way that he couldn't have imagined. So even after he left as a player and was a manager and stuff, Palace fans always felt they still had a connection with Pardew, which is why it was great when he came back. Well, what went through your mind when you saw him coming back, considering the way that he left Newcastle and, and everything that, that he'd gone through with the dumpster fire up north and, and, and all his other managerial let's just call them troubles over the years and the run-ins and various just poor runs of form, whether it was his team playing poorly or him performing poorly in interviews and, and with, with supporters and also some of his strengths as a manager. What went through your mind when you actually saw him coming back to Crystal Palace to manage this team? Well, we, we needed a strong manager and, and we needed someone strong in terms of personality because we'd had Neil Warnock back for the second time as manager and it really hadn't worked out. The, the team were playing, not playing very well. You could tell that they weren't really playing for him. All that passion that, that you know, makes Crystal Palace great wasn't really there. The fans weren't really buying it. There was sort of unrest in the stands. It was all a bit kind of flat. So we needed someone to come in who, who just had personality and confidence and could just kind of sort of grab the club by the scruff of the neck and say, look, no, you're good. Here's how you're going to win games. And just instill a bit of confidence back in everyone. And to be honest, if you're looking at any manager in the Premier League who's going to do that, I don't think you can do better than Pardew. He, he believes his own hype more than anyone. But I think that honestly sometimes gets instilled into the players. I think it's infectious. And you saw it in Palace. We then suddenly started playing a lot more confidently. We beat Spurs at home, which is a fantastic result because they'd beaten Chelsea 5-3 the week before. And suddenly we were just a team that looked like they believed they could stay up and they believed they could do even, be- even better. So... When he first came back, I was happy because it was Pardew and obviously he's a, he's a Palace cult hero. And I do think he was harshly treated at Newcastle, to be honest. I, obviously, there were problems and we, we saw some of those touchline issues and stuff. But he, he wasn't a bad manager for them, got them fifth in the table. He could motivate players and he had a good squad. And to be honest, I think Newcastle is a club that's got a lot of problems behind the scenes. Um, but when he came back, it just kind of felt... Right. It just, you know, I mean, it just kind of felt like he was the right guy at the right time for the right club. And it happened to be us. It was like putting on an old pair of gloves that you hadn't worn for ages. And he remembered how well they fitted. And, uh, and I think it's proven to be a fantastic appointment. Well, it's interesting, uh, the timing of the Pardue appointment. You talk about how Warnock came in there and 
really one of the main reasons why Warnock was even back in the first place was because of a situation with a man by the name of Malky Mackay. Uh, oh, yeah. What do you remember? It, it feels like ancient history, but that was actually only like a year and three. It was like 15 months ago. What yeah. do you remember about that whole situation with Malky Mackay and the uh, the infamous racist text messages? That was a really weird one, wasn't it? Because it just sort of came out of the blue, which, which I, I guess was kind of the, uh, the Cardiff owner's intention because he'd been talking to us about coming as a manager and we were all like, all the Palace fans were thinking, okay, fair enough, Malky Mackay, you know, he did all right and uh, could be good for us. But um, when all that stuff came out, all those allegations, I think a lot of Palace fans instantly wanted to distance themselves from Malky Mackay. And we're very glad that the club did as well because, you know, Palace is a progressive club in a cosmopolitan, diverse part of London. And all those allegations and that stuff is, is not something that is ever associated with Palace or with anyone that we'd want to be associated. So I think the, the club acted quite well in sort of cutting it off and being like, we, we can't take any further there was also our sporting director Ian Moody who was with us at the time was also involved and 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 he left the club as well so it was really shocking really it was just kind of out of the blue um and you're right it does seem like a it does seem like years ago and it was only just over a year ago but um I'm I'm glad that the way that Palace distanced themselves and look where we are now I mean you know would we be doing as well if Malky Mackay had come in as manager? I, I seriously doubt it. I think we'd have stayed up and I think we'd be doing fine. But, I mean, we definitely wouldn't be where we are now. So, in a way, maybe it was it was kind of a blessing in disguise for Palace. It, it wasn't for Malky, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think it kind of worked out for us because we're, we're certainly on to better things. Well, I think it worked out for Palace. I think it worked out for the Silver Fox, Alan Pardew, without a doubt, <laughs> worked out for the supporters. And, and that's something I actually want to talk with you about now. I'm so glad that you brought up the, the progressive nature of Crystal Palace as a club, the diversity of, of that fan base. And... It's something when I see when I see matches on on television from Selhurst Park, everyone just talks about the noise and the energy and, and just that great, great atmosphere, very unique, very boisterous. Again, there's whether they're winning or losing, there's that that cynical kind of we're going to have fun no matter what attitude that I just love and embrace so much. But one thing that stands out to me. Beyond just the the diversity and, and the, the different ethnicities that you'll see at this game, it's the youth that I see at these games. It's, it's that Crystal Palace seems more in touch with, I, I, I hate the word, but I'm going to use it right now, the millennials out there. <laughs> it seems as if Palace is more in touch with the millennial fan base than, all, I don't want to say than any other club in, in England or any other club in Europe, but right up there in terms of how in touch they are with a young fan base. Talk about that a little bit and where you think that comes from. Well, there's, I think there's probably a couple of things. Firstly, the club themselves have worked really hard on um, sort of an advertising campaign over the last couple of years just to recruit new fans, you know, not sort of trying to push season tickets, but just trying to get people from the local area involved because Palace is a, a club that's been rooted in South London but has struggled with um, uh, numbers at games and stuff. So they did this whole uh, South London and Proud uh, advertising campaign. They had giant posters all across South London. And I think that's kind of helped engage younger fans but also you've got you've got the the Homestale fanatics who are this group that sit in the corner of the Homestale stand and they, they make the banners and they do the chants and stuff and, and they're a bunch of young guys so I think young fans as well see that and see that the noise they generate and think actually this is this is an experience that I want to be part of 
Um, and, and actually, it is the Homesdale Fanatics. This uh, yes, tomorrow against Sunderland. Uh, sorry, Southampton. It's almost ten years to the day that they were formed. So, um, and they they've been absolutely fantastic in helping the atmosphere. I think there's a there's a number of things. Also, you've just got. I mean, I'm 31 now, but you've got people my age and, and a bit older who are having kids, and the kids are growing up, and they're just making them come to Palace in the same way that I was because it's it's a family club, and I think when you support a team like Palace. Uh, and you grow up, you want your family to be involved as well because it's a, it's a good experience. I go in the game and I, I meet my dad and have a pint with him. So that's, that, that's part of the experience of going to the game for me. So I think there's a, num- there's a number of factors, but uh, also it's down to the fact that we're playing well. You know, kids want to come and see a team that plays exciting football and is doing well in the Premier League. And, you know, we are certainly doing very well right now. So I'd say it's, it's a mix of things. Real quickly, 60 seconds before we got to head to break. Where are you grabbing that pint uh, with your father before a Palace match? We've got a lot of listeners who go over to England or even listeners in England uh, who are always interested in match day atmosphere in the neighborhoods around the grounds. Where is the best spot to grab a pint before a match at Selhurst Park? There are loads of pubs, but I go to one called the Pawson's Arms, um, but other pubs are available. <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't want don't to uh, exclude any pubs, right? No, do you know what? There's lots of great pubs around the grounds. Again, that was our good friend, stand-up comedian and musician and a Crystal Palace supporter, of course. I think those that, that order could be flipped. I think Crystal Palace supporter comes before all of it. That was Jim Daly. Check him out on YouTube, Jim Daly Comedy. We're back after this to close this Crystal Palace special out right here on World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned. Soccer Talk Radio with your host, Nada Barrea, on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Pretty good. Pretty damn good, that's You know, one of my favorite things about hosting this type of show is, is the wide range of guests that we get from chairman of football clubs to heads of supporters clubs to musicians and comedians and everything across the board. And one of my other favorite things is that I don't have to be unbiased on this show. I get to wear my heart on my sleeve. And, and I have to say, many of you know me as a passionate Liverpool supporter, but after a show like that and, and after a man like Steve Parrish was on the show, going back to that recording with Jim Daly, come on, Palace. I want to be with the Holmesdale Fanatics this weekend. I want to be at Selhurst Park. Come on, you Eagles. We're back tomorrow. World Soccer Talk Radio, Nate Avarea, signing off. Love you, love you. And where you listen, I'll follow. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 